Christians want proof from Matthew that God does not exist. Yet they do not provide the same proof for other gods like Zeus, Krishna, Ra, Jupiter, etc. that do not exist in turn. Paradoxically, they still do not believe in those gods. In fact, they are so rude that they use a small letter G to refer to other gods whom they say do not exist, and a capital letter G for their god whom they claim exists. But not following these other gods without proof seems okay to Christians, yet they want others to prove that indeed their god does not exist. Double standards. Failure to disapprove the imagined does not make the imagined real. Let us make an attempt to understand this Christian God and see if we come out with someone who might likely to be in existence. God comes across as a contradictory thing. He is said to be a spirit at one time, then another time a person. He is said to be omniscient, that is, all-knowing. He is also said to be omnipotent, that is, all-powerful. Omnipotence is the ability to do just anything. He is said to be everywhere, every time, that is, omnipresent. God is said to be omnibenevolent, which means he is all good, all the time. But is it true that we have an eternal, extremely powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, and just good God who sees everything past, current, and in the future. This podcast will prove that all this is not true. But an analysis of the Christian favorite book, the Bible shows that such statements are largely untrue, contradictory, and at most times, senseless. It is often said that for one to be an atheist, one only needs to read the Bible with an open mind. This is very true. Try reading the entire Bible. You will agree. The following stories or issues emanating mostly from the Bible makes it clear that we are dealing with lies created by humans to elevate and non-existent things. If God dictated all the books of the Bible, then why do the books have different literal styles, are contradictory, carry contradictory stories, and have meaningless things? There are stories, we are told, like God knows everything, including the future. But could this all be true? Certainly, just looking at the Bible, this does not appear to be true at all. In fact, it's a hodgepodge of contradictions in most times. Chapter 1 of Genesis uses the word Elohim for the date, while Yahweh, Elohim, is used for verse 4 of chapter 2, Genesis onwards. Could this be two different characters? Elohim 
is a masculine plural noun, meaning there were many deities. The singular form of it is El or Eloah. The book of Job carries this singular form a lot among some of the books that do so in the Bible. So, what exactly are we dealing with here? A god or several gods? The flood stories have one with a date called Yahweh and another with a date called Elohim. With whom is God referring to when he says, Let us make humankind in Genesis 1 verse 26. Who exactly is God talking to if it's not other gods when he's quoted saying, And the Lord said, Behold, the man is become one of us to know good and evil in Genesis 3 verse 22. Who created angels since they are not mentioned is part of God's creation. And when exactly are they created? Before the events on Genesis 1 verse 1 or after? Why should the devil, who has a direct line with God and has a shared house with him, rebel against him? One surely cannot go rush against someone whom he has first had knowledge of. His unlimited powers. Unless he knows something we don't. When exactly is Lucifer expelled from heaven? Before Genesis 1 verse 1 or after? If it's before, then Genesis 1 cannot be the beginning. If it's after, then who exactly was the serpent taking orders from? And when exactly is Lucifer expelled from heaven? Before Genesis 1 verse 1 or after? If it's before then Genesis 1 cannot be the beginning. If it's after, then who exactly was the serpent taking orders from? And which period do we place Job's story where Lucifer and God do a betting contest? Is it before Lucifer had been thrown down or after? Why should an all-knowing God wonder where Lucifer had been in Job's story? Was it a case of amnesia on God's part? Or perhaps it's not exactly everywhere. Why did God find it necessary to create anything if he's always satisfied with what he is and how he is living? What made him change his mind and think of creating? Was he not satisfied? When God created heaven and earth, where was he creating these places from? And who had created wherever he was as he created these places? What was there before the heaven and the earth? And who had created whatever was there before? To expand this further, the juvenile question still gets no answer. Who created God? If man is said to be made in the image and likeness of God, like in Genesis 1 verse 26, what is the implication? That man looks like God in everything? Then surely that means God has several weaknesses, just like man. That God is not everywhere, just like man. That God cannot see the future, just like man. That God forgets, just like man. That God can steal, 
just like men, etc., etc. Or perhaps it only refers to the face. But that brings other questions like, what skin color does the God have? Yellow? Green? Brown? White? He surely can be all colors. No human being is like that. If man is made in God's image, then surely God has a sex. Could his reproductive organ be male? And what could he be using it for? If God has no form, then why should his sex be male and be called God the Father? A God who said to have no image and yet created man in his own image? How can a no image thing create a thing in its own image? That's ridiculous. And if God's image is perfect, why would he create imperfect beings and still claim he made them in his image? In whose image did God make the frog, snail, ant, mosquito, chimpanzee, and a dinosaur? Why should a God who can do anything easily want to be constantly praised for that? I cannot be praised for blinking. It comes naturally. And a God who is said to do everything naturally, good or bad, does not deserve any praise, surely. A God who gets tired as he did after working for six days in creation does not deserve the name Almighty. Why would an omnipotent God take a rib from Adam to Eve as if resources can be scarce from him as well, as if he was facing some opportunity costs. When he put a tree in the Garden of Eden, did he not know what was going to happen? Why then did he act surprised if he's all-knowing and sees the future? Why put snares on people from the get-go and then get angry when people fall for your traps? Why exactly does God not want humans to have knowledge of good and evil, as in Genesis 2, 15-17? And what is the implication of being like God after acquiring such knowledge, as in Genesis 3, 22? And why would it be bad to be like God? Is God bad? God threatens Adam and Eve with death if they ate the forbidden food. But how would they know what death is? And why were they expected to be scared of dying, as if dying meant something then? Who had given the serpent ideas about eating the forbidden food? And why had God not stopped the serpent, or whoever was instructing it, before it did what it did? Why would an all-knowing and all-seeing God be asking for hiding Adam? And why would Adam hide from someone who is said to be everywhere, if indeed he is everywhere? And Adam would know better. Why would an omnipresent God ask where Adam and Eve were exactly in the garden? Genesis 3 verse 9. He certainly cannot be everywhere as seen in Genesis 4 verse 16, which reads, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord.
why should God punish evil instead of preventing it from happening in the first place? Prevention is always better than cure. Why are we supposed to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, for someone who is supposedly everywhere? And heaven is up, not everywhere, as implied in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 to 14, which reads, Who go up to heaven for us? Also in Genesis 18, verse 20 to 21. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I'll go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. If God is omniscient and omnipresent, how come in Genesis 11 verse 5, he said you have come down to see the city and tower which the children of men had built? Why would he have to come down instead of looking at it from above? Why would people build a tower of Babel to reach someone who is everywhere? Why would an all-knowing and ever-present God fear to be reached by people building the tower of Babel with nothing like steel, even basic knowledge of building high-rise buildings? Why would this God be worried about those primitive people building the tower of Babel instead of those building the high-rise skyscrapers in many cities? The Eiffel Tower, Mount Everest climbers, those using planes or rockets to go up, or those using telescopes as peeping toms towards the skies. And why was the same God not worried about those who saw him like Moses, the Israel elders, or Abraham, who had a picnic with him as in Genesis 18 verse 1 to 8? One wonders, who will be taking care of things as God takes a deep slumber, as seen in Jeremy 7, verse 13 and 25, when God speaks after I woke up from a sleep. And I spoke unto you, rising up early and speaking, I have sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily, rising up early and sending them. Why makes God marry? As in Judges 9, verse 3, his staple food includes fat from animal sacrifices, as in Leviticus 3, verse 16. He also loves the aroma of animals burning. It makes him happy, as in Genesis 8, verse 21. Why would a God present everywhere walk in the Garden of Eden? You can't walk in one garden and claim to be everywhere. And it's more likely that this God had legs, which he used for walking, as in Amos 7, verse 7 to 8, God stands on a wall. A standing God, a walking God, he surely has got legs, or doesn't he? According to Psalms 18, verse 8, God like a dragon, shoots flames from his mouth, and smoke come out of his nostrils. So, this God has a mouth and a nose. 
He is not spirit like some claim. With his mouth he can even shout, as in Jeremiah 25 verse 30. So we now see that God can be seen, and he has feet, he has hands, a nose, a mouth, he can talk, he can write, he can hold a banquet. We save our people as in Exodus 24 verse 9 to 18 and Exodus 32 verse 16. John 1 verse 18 says that no man has ever seen God at any time and this contradicts others. It is also supported by Psalm 89 verse 46 which says, How long God will you hide your face forever? These verses contradict several verses that have God being seen, like Genesis 18, when God visits Abraham and eats and drinks with him. Exodus 24, verse 9 to 10 says, Then up went Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Exodus 33, verse 11 and 23, say, And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. This is also confirmed when Moses was called at the bush. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses, on another occasion, tried to look God in the eye, but God turned his back as he said to Moses, Thou cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. But we are also told, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel, like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew, Face to face. God is defeated by Jacob in a wrestling bout in Genesis 32, verse 24 to 32. One wonders what would happen if the same God met a Mike Tyson or a giant haystack in a wrestling bout. Jacob calls this place Peniel and claims. It is because I have seen God face to face. Genesis 6 verse 6 reads, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at the heart. This is also seen in 1 Samuel 15 verses 10 to 11. The ever-regretting God. He regrets putting humans in the Garden of Eden creating mankind in Noah's time, etc. Does he really see the future, as some people claim? If so, why go ahead in doing what you would have done and then regretting it later? God would have to use candles to locate his victims in Jerusalem. Zephaniah 1, verse 12. Yet the same God is all-seeing, even in the dark, he can tell apart everything, or so we are made to believe. Or maybe an owl and several nocturnal species have a better eyesight than their so-called creator. 
He has limited knowledge and thus cannot be all-knowing, as in Hosea 8, verse 4. They met princes, and I knew it not. Oh, really? If this God could be defeated by men on chariots, as in Judges 1, verse 19, he could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley. They had chariots of fire. Imagine what those with AK-47 or drones would do to you, let alone those with nuclear bombs. He keeps grudges and always wants to have his day, as seen in Jeremiah 51 verse 11. It is the vengeance of the Lord. He just loves wars such that he is referred to in Exodus 15 verse 3 as the Lord is a man of war. He has several fits of anger and is a jealous dude as seen in Ezekiel 36 verse 18. My fury shall come up in my face for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath if I spoken. God is a slave trader. It is interesting to know that one of the reasons he shows one is a slave is because one is married a gentle. That is, another person who is not an Israelite. God sells Israel to the king of Mesopotamia for ages because they had worshipped idols and intermarried with Gentiles. The slave dealing of God is seen in Judges 3 verse 3 when he sold his people into the hands of Kushan Ishatayim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of God served Kusha Ishatayim eight years. One wonders, who exactly received the payment? God or his angels? And what did they use the money for? A God who fails to condemn slavery and instead gives a prescription on how slaves should be beaten is not worthy of anyone's respect. God loves tempting people as he did Abraham in Genesis 22 verse 1. God did tempt Abraham. For the Lord your God proveth you. Deuteronomy 13 verse 3 says. And the Lord's prayer tries to caution God on temptation. Matthew 6 verse 13 says. And lead us not into temptation. He acts as if he does not know the answer to his temptations beforehand. He even deliberately makes people do bad things so that he then punishes them. He is so cruel that he enjoys seeing people suffer from his bad laws. Ezekiel 20 verse 25 says, Wherefore I gave them also statutes that were not good and judgments whereby they should not live. Romans 9 says, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore 
Get thee mercy on whom you have mercy, and him you will be hardeneth. Thou will say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nah, but all men, who art thou who repliest against God? So, apparently, praying or not praying to him might not even be considered in his selections. The God favors whoever he wants and hates whoever he feels like hating because he's God. So no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you think he's listening to you, it's never a factor. God does not consider anything. He just chooses willy-nilly whether you pray or you don't. So it seems. A God who sets several booby traps for his people and punishes them for being victims to them is incomprehensible. A God who deliberately hardens people's hearts as he did to Pharaoh so that he makes his people suffer and kill them, as in Exodus 10 verse 1 to 2, cannot be trusted. Pharaoh thus does not have free will, but God decided for him instead. And after deciding for Pharaoh, he still punished the same Pharaoh and even Pharaoh's people, including kids. God even appears like a cannibal, or like he's encouraging cannibalism. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Who to the bloody city, I'll make the powerful fire great, heap on wood, kindle the fire, consume the flesh, and spice it well, and let the bones be burned. Ezekiel 24, verse 9 to 10 says. Deuteronomy 2, verse 33, talks of killing everyone, including kids, except cattle, meaning for God, cattle were more important than kids. However, sometimes even the cattle cannot be spared and die even with the kids, as in 1 Samuel 15, verse 2 to 9. Forty-two kids are killed by a bear sent by God for laughing at a bald-headed man, 2 Kings 2, verse 23 to 24. Yet there are worse crimes committed in this world by adults that he does not interfere with. Some say it's only the Old Testament God who is cruel, but even the New Testament one fares no better. He is just as ruthless as shown on Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15, where people are thrown into a lake of fire. The cruelty extends to people who follow him. They take his examples. Oliver Cromwell in 1649 justified his killing of several people at both Drogheda and Wexford in Ireland on the story in 1 Samuel, verse 15, where the Amalekites are killed. The God takes sides in the wars between Israelites and other nations and is always on the side of the Israelites, always, always. A God who creates everything, yet he has favorites, especially his so-called people, the Israelites. And among the Israelites, he chooses other people or families, 
more than he does others. A God who reveals himself to Israelites first, then takes thousands of years to reveal himself to other nations, does not belong to everyone. He reveals his will and commandments to just one race, but the others he just destroys, as if he has told them something they have not followed before. A scene that appears like it was taken from the series The Walking Dead also has questions arising. In 2 Kings 19 verse 35, 185,000 Assyrians trying to overrun Jerusalem are killed in their sleep by the angel. It is written, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp the Assyrians in hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Dead corpses waking up and seeing themselves dead? Well, one is reminded of the whispers in the walking dead. This, despite his chosen race, always playing trump and disobeying him at every turn. He even sends a son whom the same race at most ignores. The number of times the Israelites show lack of faith in God from their journey from Egypt to their settling in Canaan shows that either the stories are not true or the Israelis were all suffering from amnesia. Why should they always forget the so-called miracles their God kept performing for them? But when we eliminate the most unlikely between the two choices, amnesia or not true, then surely it's unlikely that they had amnesia, but that the stories are very untrue. He has a cruel mindset that some people can advise him to mellow down, as in Ezekiel 4, verse 9 to 15, when God is persuaded to change his mind about making Ezekiel eat human waste as bagged bread, and then opting for cow dung. He also changes his mindset, as portrayed in 1 Samuel 15, verse 29, and John 3, verse 10. On his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, God converses with Abraham and is made to revise the number of people he once dead constantly through Abraham, making him see the light in their conversation. Yet, he is also referred to as immutable. Experience does not seem to teach him anything. Paul writes that he is unchanging in Hebrews 13 verse 8. But is he? God seems like he's both good and bad, a God and a Satan in one. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, as in Lamentations 3, verse 38, Out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good. He could be the real Satan, the devil, as he says. I make well and woo. I am the Lord who do all these things. Isaiah 45, 
6 to 7 says, And is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and evil come? Lamentations 3 verse 38 also says, Also Amos notes, Does evil before a city unless the Lord has done it? Amos 3 verse 6. A prayer by Samuel's mother, Hannah, in 1 Samuel 2, verse 6 to 8, shows that God is the good, the bad, and the ugly. It went like this. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he also exalts. Such a God is indeed perplexing. Naomi, who has the male companions, that included husbands and sons dying, puts the blame on God in Ruth 1, verse 20 to 21. She does not mention Satan, but only God for her misfortunes. If Jesus was God, so God could sometimes get tempted by the devil, because Jesus always was. Considering that Jesus would sometimes be led by the devil to places like mountains or pinnacles, then surely sometimes he had the devil in him. It also seems that anything God can do, the so-called devil can do better. Is the devil omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent as well? Is this not one thing with a different name? When God wanted Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, did he not know the answer already? If God killed everyone to cleanse the world of wickedness, as in Noah's story, then why is wickedness still prevailing? Did he not know the future prior to killing everyone and after? Why would God drown unborn children and infants yet claim to be a loving God, as in Noah's story. Why drown creatures that had nothing to do with human beings, as in Noah's story? Why would God perform miracles to Moses to show that he was for real the first time they met, yet does not do the same thing to many people today so that he is also believed? Why would God require Moses? to keep his hand up for him to give Joshua's army victory in Exodus 17, verse 6 to 13, instead of more simpler options he should be having in stock if these stories are true at home. Why does an all-knowing God need blood smeared on the doors of Israelites as in Exodus 12, verse 13? Can he not tell apart Egyptians from Israelis? Aaron who is one of the 74 elders to see God face to face, yet goes on to make an idol that is to be worshipped instead of that very God. If it was that difficult for one who was said to have seen God to keep believing in him, why is God surprised when those who have not seen him don't believe him as well? Surely there's something about him that makes even people who claim to have seen or told to him Keep doubting him, still. And how was Jonah 
able to leave the presence of God, as in Jonah 1, verse 3, if God is indeed everywhere. Why would Solomon, whose wisdom exceeded the sand that is on the seashore, as in 1 Kings 4, verse 29, and also known as wiser than all men, as in 1 Kings 4, verse 31, then tend to worship idols instead of God with all that wisdom? Why is God worried about other gods if he killed them all, as in Isaiah 26, verse 13 to 14? Despite having been visited by angels, Mary seems to go oblivious as she constantly forgets a forced contract with God about who Jesus is. Why would God suddenly expire Herod when he was speaking with an angel instead of when he murdered or intended to murder several kids at around Jesus' birth time, as in Acts 12, verse 23. If the Trinity concept is true, when Jesus is praying, is he thus praying to himself, since he is also the Father, who sometimes changes into his Father's Son, or some such weird concept? Jesus is said to sit on the right hand of God. But if God is everywhere, then where is his right? Surely there shouldn't be a side called right because he'll be everywhere. The God seems incapable of saving the humans without killing his son in a weird sacrifice whose actual objective is not explained clearly, as if he had run out of better options. How killing his so-called son saves humans remains unexplained and at best is absurd. A God who was offended by men such that he got angry to the extent of offering himself as a sacrifice to himself so that his anger would subside is bizarre. Did Lord Swaff have free will? The children who were killed for laughing at a bald-headed man, did they have free will? The guy who saved the covenant from falling. People like Onan. And why did these people fare worse than Saul, the murderer who became Paul? Why did this one have God choosing him and the others God abandoning him? If Paul heard directly from God without violation of free will, why can the same God not do that to everyone? Paul even shows God's favoritism when he says, God chooses whoever he likes in Romans 9. Why should a God be selective in his revelations to people? And why does he make it a mystery to understand him? Why should God make a revelation to another person for me instead of approaching me direct? Why use a proxy? Why does God make it hard to show that he exists? Yet he said to want humans to know that he does. If you want people to know that you exist, then don't play hide and seek. Several people could converse with God direct. These include Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Sarah, Rebecca, and Cain. A God who could hold a picnic with 70 Israel elders can sure afford to do that with United Nations leaders.
in this era, even once a decade, can't he? Even more, why does an omnipresent God need intermediators like priests or disciples to tell us something instead of using his direct line with us? Why would a God only want to reveal himself to one tribe only in ancient times, but does not want to do so to everyone in modern times? Why can't God send his army of angels, his police officers and soldiers to maintain peace on earth just for a week or less? The UN peacekeepers might need such a great helping hand. A God who changes into little wafer of baked flour and is eaten in the form of bread, as in Catholicism, or into oils, as in most Pentecostal churches, is ridiculous. To believe such absurdities is to be extremely naive. If God gives choices and independence to individuals on moral issues, then he is not useful and serves no purpose. Since these important issues are outside his control, he is thus not omnipotent. It is difficult to see the goodness of the God, considering all the killings in the Bible, which would include over a million deaths if the body count is done. All these killings were done by or through him. But not only that, the killings continue even today with the same God doing nothing about it. An omnipotent God who cannot stop or prevent evil is incongruous. A God whose punishment portfolio includes mostly plagues and famines cannot be a loving God as this kills even innocent infants and unborn kids in the womb. Thousands of people, including kids, dying of landmines in places like South Sudan and Cambodia or malnutrition in places like Ethiopia, as in 1982, would not be victims if there really was a God. If God has the cure to say cancer, smallpox, polio, malaria, and only want to steal credit from science, when science finally gets a solution after millions of deaths, then that God is at best useless. Why does a good God not stop pain in the world? Why not stop illness or deaths? Why not stop evil or evil people from being born? If God can, but does not, then he is complicit in all these problems or does not simply exist. If he is credited with some, but not all problems, then he is even worse off for being that selective. Why does God treat people as a collective and not individuals? Why should Africa suffer more than Australia, for instance, if they both have one God? If someone is trying to commit suicide, I will go against his will and try to assist him. Why does God not do that as well, if he is so loving? God should, like humans, be able to contain the so-called free will he gives. A policeman may stop a robber from stealing. Why shouldn't God do the same? If I see someone raping or trying to rape a minor or anyone for that matter, 
I'll try to find that person. Why does God fail to give a heart attack to kidnappers, to rapists, for instance? If there is a bus that crashes with 96 people on board and only one survivor, relatives of the survivor will call it a miracle and they will thank God for that. Forgetting that the other 95 people actually died and if God says he should not let anyone die in the first place. Ironically, relatives of the 95 will shy away from blaming the same God for their deaths. If he is praised for saving one's life among thousands, then he should equally be blamed for the deaths of the thousands. The God seems still bent on seeing millions of his people, especially in third world countries, suffer. And he seems to enjoy that. If a human being sees in him the need to alleviate suffering, why would it be difficult for a God to do the same thing? If science detects a tsunami coming, why can't God do the same thing? And even nip it in the bud, and not only show science that is more powerful, but prevent a lot of destruction in the process. In December 2004, an earthquake in Asia killed about 180,000 people in Sri Lanka, Thailand, and Indonesia. Where was God when that happened? Was that number not big enough for him to act and show the world that he can even resurrect the dead promptly? Why is God not turning bullets into water and bombs into candy cakes or some other foods? They say everyone is a purpose and a time to do something given by this God. But what exactly is God's purpose when a child who dies, say, after a week or less of being born? What free will does a child who dies at birth or days after or a few years after have? Why make people buy expensive things and have great expectations for a child who then dies after only a few days? A merciful God who punishes people for eternity on crimes of their forefathers is worse than any justice system anywhere in this world. Why are people who are not given choices or do not know about them or about the deity being allowed to die and then punished for not knowing the deity? If God can be praised for one team that is winning, then he should also be blamed for the other team's loss. Not even one single act of God has been witnessed in this world. We have only heard lies from individuals or religious people without any proof, no confirmation, just dubious claims. If you ask for proof, they say you need to have faith first, as if they have had faith in the other millions of gods first to reject them all. God, who said to be our father, falls short from our real father, who at least can advise us, talk to us, assist us, hear us, as well as comfort us. Any parent who does not give his children a good education when he is able to, is a bad parent. And God, being the father, or so we are told, appears so. He has failed not only to educate, but to supervise his kids. 
he appears like an absentee parent, he should be charged with negligence. If God is always good, then there is no reason for him to create a so-called hell or punish unbelievers. If God is everywhere, then there is no need of going to mountains, church buildings or temples to pray for him, because anywhere will do. If God is omniscient, then he does not need prayers, because he already knows what everyone wants at any given moment. Why would God allow the original books on him to disappear if he created rocks that live forever? Surely his books would have been of the same texture, indestructible. An omnipresent God would have removed inabsurdities and complex issues in the Bible that would cause different interpretations. Christians say God cannot be understood and then try to make you understand the same being that they admit cannot be understood, but they still follow. They say the God is enveloped in mystery. If God cannot be second-guessed, then Christians should stop saying anything about him because they also do not know his thoughts. He is inconceivable. All assertions about a date one does not understand should never ever come up in the first place. If one then eventually claims the date cannot be understood by anyone. What is interesting is, most Christians use the God cannot be understood line almost at the end of an argument after they realize that all they thought they knew about him has been exposed as lies and contradictory in a debate. This line is rarely used initially when they still think they have an upper hand in an argument. If no one knows God, if we cannot know God, then what exactly is revelation? What is the use of the Bible? Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. It simply means nothing has been revealed to people. And the Bible has dismally failed in showing people who God really is. At best, it is a book that is contradictory, sometimes indecipherable, and it brings out many interpretations. The best this God could have done was to create a perfect book to clear any issues that could arise, first things first. But this happens when one is at pains to explain something that does not exist, a creation of the human mind, this God is. The arguments on the existence of God keep getting changed with time, as science destroys one thinking after another, bit by bit, on every religion, and its gods. God is shrinking. Evilness, pain, and sorrow all happen because there is no one controlling everything in this world. God does not exist. In most times, he comes across as a false friend. He has a short-fused temper, is hateful, a tyrannical psychopath, arrogant, egoistic, despicable, 
an unjust judge, cruel, barbaric, hypocrite, a braggart, a despot, a tyrant, very revengeful, suspicious, changeable, infamous, hideous, inquisitor, warlike, bloodthirst, capricious, vague, dull, pompous, immature, vindictive, a savage, a partial jealous god, a deceiving and forgiving dude, a bully, megalomaniacal racist, ethnic cleanser, a supporter of fraudsters, and a fraudster himself, bloodthirsty, infanticidal, genocidal, petty, perpetually offended, easily irritated, with his vengeance only like a spoiled brat, an ignorant, ferocious monster who is also unjust and extremely cruel, deceitful, tyrannical, capricious, revengeful, a slave master, misogynistic, sexually obsessed, homophobic, has an oscillating mind that's like a ping-pong ball, especially in his never-ending mood swings, and a control freak. This god would be the last thing on any list in this world ever to win a Nobel Peace Prize or a Humanitarian of the Year award. He would even fail to get the award had he been the only thing in existence. He fares badly. He is so incomprehensible, yet wants to be followed, nevertheless. Or does he? A god who is oxymoronic in nature cannot exist. He is too contradictory. Very good and very, very bad. Very powerful and very weak. Very intelligent but always acts very dull. He loves order but every time he is giving us disorder. His qualities cancel out each other. He is like a square triangle. The truth is, early human beings, after they are resorting to their default state of counting hits and ignoring misses, ended up thinking everything in this world was ready-made for them by someone bigger, someone they decided to name their dating. But this was ignoring the struggles they had to go through wherever they were at any given moment, and the millions of deaths that incurred in the process. This obliviousness made men create a God. The Bible itself helps us see that this deity is a mass of contradictions. His split personality, his conflicted self, makes him curiously non-existent. Man did create God in his own image. A cycle can never be a rectangle. There's so much incompatibility between the two. The many contradictions in the description of the Abrahamic God clearly proves that he does not exist. The contradictions are irreconcilable. 
there is no God. A God who cannot explain clearly his objectives to the humans. A God whose teachings are vague. A God who refuses to hold a meeting with everyone, even for a minute, so that we all get to know him better. But sends suspicious proxies cannot and does not exist. As Charles Baudelaire notes, God is the only being who, in order to reign, doesn't even need to exist. <laughs>